everybody, I am here today with Giuseppe Marzelli, also goes by Joey, of course, and he is the co-founder and head of sales at Boomtown. How are you doing today, Joey? Good, James. How are you doing? I am doing great. Uh, so Joey and I are going to talk today about one of the most popular technology solutions in our market, which is, of course, the Point Terminal. Joey has a lot of experience there as the master reseller for Point in the U.S. Um, and so, Joey, before we get into Point, um, I know we've talked before, and of course, you and I know each other well, but you know, others of our listeners maybe don't. Give us a little background. How did you get into this industry? How did you end up co-founding Boomtown? Yeah, great question. Um, so I actually grew up, I uh, work, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a merchant environment. My dad owned restaurants and my mom owned retail. Uh, so I had great exposure to that world. And uh, when I graduated college in 2010, I came over to California. I worked in Palo Alto for Groupon. Groupon was kind of peaking as a company and they had a lot of cash. So they were trying out new things sure. and they handed me Groupon payments. So I was walking, walking the streets selling uh, smart terminals. <laughs> and getting a lot of exposure to that, it was, it was kind of my entry to sure. the uh, the payments world. Uh, we acquired Breadcrumb, and I started selling Breadcrumb POS, which is now owned by Upserve. Right. Um, and I, I basically had a sales team in San Francisco, Chicago, New York, and uh, obviously got a lot of exposure into the POS world. And, and obviously, with my relevant experience of growing up in a merchant environment, um, you know things things were going going well. And I saw that there was a lot of merchants looking for these you know these smart solutions. One thing that I identified quickly, though, was that all this technology is coming out and the local merchant is still just, no, they're very good at what they do. They're great at making pizza. They're great at, um, you know, their health and beauty. They're great at running a doctor's office. They're not great at technology. And that's okay. That, that's not because they're not smart. It's just because they're passionate about what they do. And, and all these tech companies were, you know, becoming more complex, adding more complex products, you know, sending out all these different POS terminals and, and um, you know, all this different technology. And the local merchant didn't really understand how to set it up or not, and how to utilize it. Right. And so came along Boomtown. Um, Chip Khan, our founder, uh, got in touch with me through through my boss and, and at the time. And basically our vision was let's help empower local merchants. Let's give them the services and, and basically the support they need. And so we started with um, our partners going to our platform, groups like Square, Clover, uh, Rebel. Um, and this is about six years ago. And they could dispatch technicians nationwide. We have about... 2,000 active technicians that do cabling, hardware setup, network setup. We then built the training activation team. So for a lot of banks, we did um, terminal activation and training. And then I, we built out the remote support team. So um, ISOs could also outsource tier one support for all their terminals, POS, and gateways through Boomtown. And today, Boomtown supports over 350,000 merchants across the U.S. and across probably 40 different products. Um, and then the last piece of that is we just raised our series B. So we've raised basically 24 million in capital um, around our software platform as well. And so a lot of acquiring institutions and, and banks and ISOs will use our software now to support their own merchants. And, and that's all about the new kind of digital transformation um, having really good, um, you know, support SDK uh, and, and AI to obviously right. get people to the right team at the right time and not, not do the old, old uh, Oh yeah. You know, that's first data's problem. That's not my problem. Sorry. <laughs> right. can't help you. That's right. not fair to any merchant, right? If they bought a Clover station from you, they should get to the right person at the right time. And if they have a problem, it doesn't really matter. They're going to call the person who sold it to them, and they should be able to get it to the right, the right support team. Right. So that's uh, yeah, that's kind of my quick history and, and really sure. what uh, you know what Boomtown is today. Yeah, and so before we dive into point, um, I think it's worth digging in a little bit more to this because Boomtown, in my opinion, serves a really unique um, need in the marketplace that. You know, ISOs a lot of times just don't even understand that companies like yours exist. So let me let me restate this and, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of this. But the idea is, you know, if I have an ISO and I realize, hey, I'm actually really good at recruiting salespeople and selling stuff. I also realize that merchants today want more than just a regular terminal. In many cases, they want a smart terminal. They want a POS system. They want something like that. But where maybe as an ISO owner, I don't have the expertise is we want to sell these more advanced solutions, but we don't have the technical support. Maybe I don't want to trust outsourcing it to First Data or TSIS or whoever else. I want to have some measure of control, but I don't want to be the person that is responsible to make sure the cables are run correctly and all of that and, and provide all the support. What you're saying is Boomtown basically can serve that need, right? And, and you can kind of, to a certain extent, outsource some of this technical support. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the ISO world, right? And I know that's a lot of, of the audience that, that, that right. um, listen in. I, they have, they're really good at building relationships. They're really good at selling sure. products. They're good at maintaining relationships, but they're not maybe good at 
you know, servicing all the different technology that they're, they're pushing out there in the marketplace. And so we've built a team that's in Scottsdale, Arizona. They're onshore 24-7. We can white-label support because our software uh, makes it really simple that if you're merchant emails, text, web chat, phone, uh, even chats through the terminal, we know exactly who it's coming from. We can answer. And we also know that the escalation triage, right? If it's, a, if it's a point merchant from this ISO and they're working on World Pay or TSIS, we have direct lines to those acquirers. And uh, we make it really simple to also pass those tickets back and forth um, you know, to, our, sure. to our partners in the case that maybe there's an upsell opportunity or if it hits our team and there's the, um, you know, hey, this merchant, they, they actually seem pretty frustrated. Let's get it back to your, your retainment team. Um, we can be a really good tier one source. And then those other tools are very helpful, right? We can dispatch technicians anywhere in the nation. Sure. We can provide training and activation services. So it's pretty great because one of the things that I, I love about, you know, my job today and in, in servicing all these different groups is when they do hear of us, I get on the, the call with their, you know, their COO, their CTO, and, and they're always like, holy crap, I never even knew you guys were, like right. you said, were, were <laughs> even um, here. And it's, exactly. it's kind of a, it, they love it because they, they can now focus on sales while right. our team can actually stay up to date on all the advances, well, how it's, you know, as point changes and as point grows, we can keep up the date. You don't have to go hire people and train people right. uh, as those products progress. Exactly. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's huge, and I really believe it's it's one of the big trends. I think just in general, in business in general, in our industry particularly, but this idea that you know you don't have to be good at everything to win. Um, in fact, a lot of times that's a cost disadvantage. You actually want to go, what are we really, really good at? What are, what are we the best at? And let's do that and let's outsource the other stuff we do because now technology has just made so much uh, possible where you really can't outsource and kind of everybody doing the things they're doing is an expert in that thing. Um, so yeah, I'm big, big fan of that. Okay, so so let's transition, Joey. Let's talk about points. So when did Boomtown, how did this relationship start with Point and what's the status? Help them kind of understand your relationship with Point. Yeah, it's a little bit unique. Um, it's, it's, um, so what happened was about six years ago, we put our support SDK onto their terminal where you can initiate help or basically the help me button. And we have chatbots that answer questions or route you to a, the right person based on, your, you know, based on what, you're, what you're telling them right. and w- what you need for help. That um, obviously they were excited to launch with our with our application and our SDK on their terminal, and then quickly I had a lot of our ISO partners, you know, dozens of ISOs that were outsourcing support to us, saying, "Hey, I want to sell Point," and I went to Point and um, with our head of uh, BD, who was Chris Dorsey, and we said, "Can our ISO sell Point?" They said, "You know, we don't really have the infrastructure today. We're we're servicing a large acquiring banks like you know like Elevon Chase. We don't really have the ability to do ISO support." And so we said, well, we can do it. And we're agnostic, right? We don't do any processing. We don't right. do any hardware. Right. We don't sell the merchants directly. So it was a really good fit. They said, okay, great. If we make you the master reseller, you can sign up all of your ISOs as sub-resellers, all your banks as sub-resellers, and then you can basically charge them a license fee. They bring their own processing. They bring their own hardware. They own the relationship and the billing with their merchants. And so, again, point bills, boomtown bills, boomtown bills, reseller reseller bills merchants. Right. And it, it was a great experience. And we, we signed up over basically 150 different ISOs and banks uh, to sell a uh, point through us. And we've had a lot of success. That's uh, a great product. And, um, you know, that's, that's really kind of how the, the whole partnership established and, and why we are, you know, where we are today in the point reseller channel. Got so it. If, if I can just ask for a clarification. So what you're saying then is that basically they're, the ISO and their agents are selling the technology, but you're the back-end technology workhorse, so to speak. Yeah, so, so one of the things, it's like, you know, to be completely, um, you know, blunt on what the sale looks like, uh, when, when an ISO comes to, um, to Boomtown, I say, hey, guys, it's, it's very simple to get going. It's basically we charge you $6 per mid and $8 per TID. What that covers is the software, the basic software uh-huh. of Point. Um, access to mission controls so you can board merchants in real time and, and handle them in real time. But it also includes sales support, sales training, operation support, and merchant support. And one of the benefits of that is it's kind of an accelerator program, right? Sure. I can go sign up with Boontown. I can just focus on selling, and I don't have to go build a whole infrastructure behind me or a whole team behind right. me to train my agents, to train my team. And uh, you know, if there's a problem, I can route that to Boontown. Well, cool. and I think the other thing too, Joy, that it needs to be mentioned there too is, you know, the other big advantage is that if you try to go to Point directly, you're going to have to buy like thousands of Point terminals to get your foot in the door. Whereas if you go to Boomtown, you can actually just buy the Point terminals that you need. There's not these like massive minimums, right? 
Exactly. You have to buy thousands of terminals. If you go to Boomtown, we have a very low minimum. It's basically the equivalent of you need to sell, you know, seven to eight terminals to to now have that that billing minimum uh, waived. So it's, it's <laughs> right. pretty pretty low, and it's uh, cool. And if you if you're not doing that, then I have great resellers that are willing to take on agents and, and help exactly. help you out. I just think that that's enough right. to say, look, this is showing that you're dedicated and that right. you actually you're, this is strategic. It's not the hey, I have one merchant, I would like to go get them signed up and then, and then never talk to them again because sure. <laughs> we right. see right. some people try to do that. Right. Got it. Okay, cool. So now that we've got that out of the way and it was like, I, you know, normally we talk about a lot of that stuff at the end of the interview, but I wanted to kind of predicate this because I want people to understand what your relationship is to point and the fact that you do have kind of a unique relationship and a unique perspective. So, with that in mind, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of Point, as you know, Joey. Um, I love it. I think it's just a, an amazing uh, terminal, and it's it's to me, it's that perfect next step up from the the standalone, you know, Verifone terminal type situation. So, you know, that's my belief. I know. I think it was last year they raised like a hundred million dollars in capital to their. I think it was Series C or something to to grow. What is your kind of big picture zooming out? Like, what do you think about Point right now and and its future as as an ISO? You know, something that ISOs can resell. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it's a, it's really a full commerce platform. Um, you know, trying to take care of the the omni-channel experience, where um, you know you have a terminal, but you can do you know virtual terminal. You can do recurring payments, invoicing. Um, you can do now point setting up a program called Point Capital, where um, you can see how much your your merchants are processing, and then actually provide them loans or, or you know cash advance based on that actual data. And this is something that Square does, and a lot of other groups have done successfully. So giving your resellers, you know, versatile tools to actually retain customers with, with better sophisticated features, but also retain them with great services. And I think that they're, they're really kind of building out that commerce platform to not just help, you know, these traditional licenses go out there and, and flip terminals. They, they really actually want you to build a good relationship and retain that relationship. And something that's really neat is if you look across all of our partners, um, you know, we have a lot of data, as you can imagine. And anyone who has a smart terminal um, or anyone who's selling a smart terminal, their churn rate is, is significantly less. It's like 2 to 4% than basic uh, legacy terminals, which are like 20% a month. Right. So, right. you know, that's a, that's a big that's kind crazy. of piece and, and factor that I, I tell a lot of the resellers kind of coming into this. Yeah, you know it's it's crazy. And I mean, not 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 to like advocate a particular business model. I know there's a lot of different models out there of leasing point, renting point, you know, giving away. But I mean, you know, just from a purely financial perspective, the models that I've seen, which are similar to what you just said, it shows that it's almost worth really spending the money to even give point away for free in some scenarios, or at the very least to make it very affordable, just to get the better retention. Like your accounts are so much more valuable with point versus a regular terminal that it's like. You know what I mean? It's almost worth just giving the thing away or, or making that investment to like, you just need to get this into the merchant. Am I, am, does that kind of, you know, mesh with what you've been saying? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of um, options on there that you can, you can look at all the different advanced, um, I'd say, features and, and software they have. And it's very versatile to work with all different types of verticals. So what I would do in, in the case is I would have, if I was selling it, I would basically have a lease program and a buy upfront program. Right. You know, obviously two different models to get someone in there for like a three, three year commitment. Right. But also, you know, I think that it has the software to help them grow as a business and really actually be effective to help them be, be successful. Awesome. So, okay. So let's switch gears a little bit. I know a lot of people listening are probably like, okay, cool, Joey and James, it's nice that you love point, but when are we going to talk about the outages? <laughs> so, um, yeah. right. So of course, recently, you know, there were some outages, which obviously was, was significant. Um, you know, a lot of ISOs and agents were upset about, you know, point went down for a period of time. So you're much more on the inside with that than I am. So can you give us a little bit of a flavor of number one, what happened with point with this outage they recently experienced? And then number two, what's been kind of your experience now talking with them as their master reseller and your comfort level with them moving forward and, and their focus on, on dependability? Yeah, I think, I think being here in Silicon Valley and I'm in San Francisco, it's, it's, you know, you get pretty weathered on, on, <laughs> on how technology companies sure. operate <laughs> yeah. and, and you become, you become pretty patient. Right. And even when I was at Groupon, which was servicing, you know, um, hundreds of thousands of merchants. And then I went to a company called ZenReach, which was a Biatomic Labs, and they were servicing, um, you know, thousands of merchants. It was pretty interesting that, you know, you'll see that, you know, people have outages, things happen. Um, right. It's not an excuse. It's not it, whether it's right or wrong. But I've seen actually in the last year, one of the largest terminals companies um, in the world 
actually have an outage where, you know, they brought 200,000 terminals offline. Oh, it was unreal. And, uh, and we, my team actually had to help a lot of our partners. I think we did something like 8,000 reprograms activations over, (laughs) over a week um, to help, help get those terminals back online. So again, it's not, it's not using excuses like they should be able to have outages, but it's, but things happen with new companies, especially as they're building uh, more complex software. Uh, the one thing that mattered the most to me is that they were very communicative about it. Um, I did get a statement from their CEO talking about the details, and I'm very happy to share that with anyone on, on kind of the nit and grit of what actually happened, why it happened, and how they're building an infrastructure so that this doesn't happen again. Um, I Hopefully, it was a good learning experience for everybody. I don't think anybody – I actually had to – I was at a lunch. It was a Saturday afternoon. I, I went back to my house, <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was hoping with phone calls because our, our queue was blowing up. You know, we. We, we, we saw a bunch of phone calls come in and I was helping with chats and all these different, um, you know, inbound. But the other piece is um, one thing to remember. And, and, and one thing I told a lot of our resellers to help them calm down is, you know, I, I again, when, when you build something like Boomtown and you look at all these different products that you're servicing, you have a lot of data on, on the, all these products. And so, again, just kind of just echoing that um, no product's perfect. Right. Uh, products right. are going to have, they're going to have some bad days and, and uh, it's about, it's all about how we communicate with our merchants and how we communicate with our resellers and how that communication looks from the actual acquiring you know, platform. Uh, making sure that we, we, uh, we all understand what happened. We all understand what the best next steps are. And we just, we just communicate that. We put our heads down and we keep going. I mean, I can't say that, you know, any better than that. I think that's yeah. just uh, yeah. the truth of it. And again, you know, we can get our contact information access. If anybody wants a, a, a statement of, of more details, happy to go through what exactly happened. Sure. Well, and I think, too, I mean, from my perspective, it's like our industry needs these cutting-edge technology companies that are disruptors, um, especially the ones that are like, let's work with ISOs instead of trying to put them out of business. So, you know, I think that the just the very nature of that, it's like, hey, if, you, if you're going to build cutting-edge technology, I mean, I have developers here, you know, we build our quote tool and other technology, and we've had issues. Like, you know, if you're trying to build something really unique and different, um, of course, you're going to have, you know, some issues along the way. But, I mean, it sounds like, and, and I also got that uh, that communication with the CEO, and it, it just sounds like they, you know, they're trying to push forward, but at the same time now they're taking a step back and making sure that they have a really solid foundation. That's kind of the, the feeling I got from it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, one thing that's it's great about all of your, your the media that you put out and literature that you put out, James, is I forward it to a lot of ISOs and banks that I work with because what you, the way that you help people sell is you really get down to the, uh, you know, why are these terminals valuable, right? Like, right. why do you want to be selling a smart terminal? Why do you, because it's going to help you retain your merchants. Right. And you hear it all the time, like, well, how do I compete with Square? It's actually not very difficult. No, it's understanding no. who your actual, you know, what is the vertical you're going after, you know, put focus on the merchant that the types of merchants that you want to close and build a really good script around the products that you're selling. And I think that there these products by point make it very easy to compete with other smart terminals and other massive ISVs out there that have all this value. And like yeah. I said, the, the point capital, the um, cash advance, all these, these types of um, you know, services that basically come along with the, uh, with the smart terminals is a, a real game changer for the ISO market. And so I think it's really great that they have options like point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's switch gears again, and I want to talk about something we've never talked bef- about before on our podcast. Uh, I don't think. I was trying to think back, Patty. I don't think we've talked about this. but no, um, I don't think we have either. Yeah, so ISVs. So obviously the idea of the ISV, the independent software vendor, you know, Point, I was looking through and just doing some homework for the interview. Point has really an incredible platform for developers to come in and create custom software, custom apps, things like that. And so... I know that there's a lot of ISOs out there who recognize the value of partnering with ISVs, meaning software companies that are selling small business owners, but you partner with them to do the processing. Can you talk a little bit, Joey, about your experience of you know working with ISVs and also maybe specifically how Point works with ISVs to kind of as they're moving the industry forward in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where the, the stuff, you know, the sales training for Point gets a lot of fun for me is I can really go through, um, you know, a whole model of saying, look, if they're processing between zero to 25K a month, here's what you should talk about. Don't oversell it. Right. If they're processing between 25 and 100K a month, here's what you should talk about. You know, don't oversell it. But there's also these different verticals that um, are pretty, uh, it's pretty impressive of how many different verticals you can sell to with the Point Terminal. And so let's go into, yeah, let's go into more detail on what that looks sure. like, right? 
there's an app called Manglement where Manglement is a kind of a competitor to MindBody. It's a high-end salon spa software. And I remember when I was selling basically payments, I would get so frustrated when I came across MindBody because I had nothing to compete with them. They have a great software. Sure. They're a great product. But Manglement has made that really easy, right? So when I do these sales trainings, I kind of be like, okay, guys, again, let's go through the threshold of processing and how to sell just point out of the box, the point native software, all the different features. But let's actually go by vertical. So that, that one kind of handled the health and beauty vertical. There's eHopper, which can hold the 40,000 SKUs, inventory management, POS, kind of a register application. Right. It has loyalty built in, order ahead, um, a lot of great features. And then there's also Talic POS, which just got acquired by U.S. Bank. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not, not necessarily sure what their, their future is with channels, but they, they still have a lot of resellers active in our, in our market. But same thing, they have full restaurant, you know, full service restaurant and QSR features. Um, everything's kind of built in. So you're paying, you know, probably 40 to $60 um, dollars a month more for that software. But now you're actually competitive with a lot of the um, POS software out there for more sophisticated type businesses. Right. So it's great. It's a great way to build scripts for your agents too. Because you're like, hey guys, start here. Start with the native software. If it's health beauty, talk about Manglement. If they have full service restaurant needs, intelligent routing of the tickets, you know, splitting orders and, and having it so there's multiple tenders, you know, let's talk about maybe Talic or eHopper. If they have over 40,000 items, let's talk about eHopper. And then there's a few more that we can, you know, obviously go into. But that's really what I've liked about the ISVs working with uh, Point is it's kept it very agnostic for the ISOs to go out there and just sell different uh, to different verticals and actually be very effective and very uh, competitive. Yeah, and I would think that even like, you know, there's a lot of reps out there today that really could just build their, they could take the next two years and build an entire portfolio based on one of those apps. <laughs> really, yeah, you know? absolutely. And there's a there's a cash discount app that's been very, um, you know, very great to work with. I know oh, that yeah. you, I, um, a lot of the ISOs love cash discount and a lot of the agents love it. And so they, it's a very easy software that basically is just built into the payment fragment to utilize cash discount. And then the other piece, which is nice about that, is those groups are even willing to work with a lot of these ISOs directly. Like a, one of the acquiring ISOs who's a reseller of, of uh, Point Through Boomtown, um, they built a, they basically attached their gateway to the cash discount app. You know, So obviously right. we're, we want to stay agnostic. We want to introduce people to great people. Right. And so we don't, we don't ever want to take any of that revenue away from people. We don't ever want to be part of it. We just want to make sure that they're, they're selling more and that they're obviously utilizing us for the service. So we've, we, I like kind of putting those introductions together and, and finding ways to be strategic that, you know, are acquiring ISO partnerships with they'll they'll sell more point by integrating their gateways and, and becoming more versatile with those different different ISVs. Sure. So one other question on this. Um, so talk to me a little bit more though about the ISV themselves. What I mean by that is why should an I if you were pitching the ISV, so let's imagine we've got a company that's got a web based um, you know, scheduling system for, for hair salons or something like that. What is the pitch to them? Why do they want to work with Point and develop applications for the Point terminal? Yeah, it really depends on their strategy. I mean, there's groups like Spot On who've built their own software and they do their own payments and they just thought it was a really nice terminal and they, they thought the back end was great. So they have their POS and their, their software and services and their payments on the terminal. So they're, they go direct, they sell direct. Right. And that's that's kind of their own, um, you know, that's, that's why maybe that type of ISV would want to go with Point. But then there's a lot of, you know, because we have so many different resellers and so many different acquiring banks that are selling Point, it's really, if, if an ISV isn't a payback, if they don't have their own processing, right. it's nice for them to basically say, okay, here's another product that I can, you know, I can get my software onto. And now I'm actually exposed to a whole channel of resellers and I can actually go through them. Exactly. Um, that's, that's, that's helped entice a lot of ISVs to get onto uh, point, especially when they see our numbers in our channel. And I do like a monthly webinar that's, that's public to all of our resellers. It's more of a, you know, have guests on, you know, what's coming down the line with point. We do weekly trainings, but again, this is all focused around the third party apps and, right. and third parties that are adding on to point. And that's been very effective because they get excited that when they build onto the point platform, um, I always make sure that every one of them gets invited on at least to one of those webinars and, and those get hosted in our, our sales hub. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. It, it all kind of comes back to that segmentation of, you know, what is the ISV really good at? There's a lot of ISVs out there that, you know, it's, it's three, three people in a garage or, you know, uh, whatever, where they're like, Hey, we got this great idea of something we could build that would really help a certain business vertical or help businesses in general. And so for them, it's like, 
you they could build this technology, but but how do they distribute it? And it sounds like what you're saying is with point, it gives these software companies a distribution channel that they can that they can look at attacking, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of big channels. I mean, we have a lot of large ISOs. I mean, we have a, we we probably have a dozen that have over a hundred thousand bids. So these aren't small organizations, right? Right. right. Um, and and they have a lot of exposure to them. And it's a quick way to get an agreement directly with them. Uh, eHopper, I was saying that POS, uh, we've had almost, I think it was, uh, you know, five groups in the last, you know, six months who have done a direct relationship with eHopper, which is great. Again, right. we don't want to be part of it. It's like, like you guys, right. you go sell what's best for you. But the fact that they came into the point market, they're now selling, you know, more because they have a direct relationship. They're now selling more point and they're now, you know, uh, they now have a very great retail product that they can sell against Clover or whatever their competition is. It, it's nice that they have the ability to do that um, through the ISVs. Cool. Awesome. So um, next question I have for you. So this one, a little bit off topic, but I just, I wanted to get your opinion about it because it's something that some of my consulting clients have brought up. So I know that point is, I'm not sure what stage they're at. I believe that they've now created their own payfac or they've kind of gone down that path, which I know is something that Lightspeed and a lot of others have done. Um, but of course that's a concern for some ISOs like, Hey, is point trying to you know sell merchant services? So I know that you've worked with a lot of your channel partners just to make sure the agreements are really solid with Point in terms of protecting those relationships. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of where you see Point going as far as their direction with the PayFAC and how the ISO should be managing their relationship with them? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great question. I always, you know, always do your due diligence, um, right. read through your agreements, make sure that you you highlight everything that's protecting you as an organization, and our team does that really well. And and we always, you know, we're always. Um, the reseller comes first for us and we want to make sure that they're protected and uh, points always been very good communication of what's coming. And so it's no surprises. And so we try to right. get that communication out to the resellers as much as possible. Um, and I think that it ultimately, like, like we've seen, we've been, we've seen shock keep uh, revel, uh, you know, breadcrumb, which became upserve. They, they became a payback. It's, it's just become more common. And so it's not something that's going to change that that's going to happen more and more because right. truthfully, something like point, they're not doing to go compete with your, your, your customers. What they're doing is they're doing to actually understand the customers better, build a better, stronger platform that can have again, more of that versatile, you know, solutions and services that can actually help um, everyone uh, sell them more. So it might seem competitive at first, but I truly think um, it's, it's for good reason. And so I don't really get nervous about it. I don't get upset about it. Again, I, the contracts, if, if anybody, if you, if you're any organization that's not reading through your contracts then that's, you know, that's a shame on you. Right. Anyways, right? You need to understand right. where you're protected. And there's a lot of merchants out there. <laughs> there's enough <laughs> right. merchants for everybody. It is so funny of how many different organizations I meet every day that have thousands of merchants. And I'm like, where the hell did this organization come from? Right. I never even heard of this group. I thought I'd been in this industry long enough to hear about them. And they have over 50,000 mids. Look, there's just so much. There's so much competition out there, and there's so much to go um, to go after. Uh, I truly, from a personal standpoint, my my belief is again: make sure you make sure you're covered. Look through your agreements, but also keep your head down and keep selling. Don't right. let this stuff kind of like shake you. Don't don't sit here and and uh, you know spend your whole day worrying about it because truly, truthfully, you're you're losing sales if you're going to get you know upset about every single time an ISV that you're working with has their own pay stack. Because behind the scenes, and look, if you look at all these different ISVs, I look. They all have their own payback. It's just it's just right. how it is today, and because it, it's right. easier well, to have a payback. They're spending a lot of money developing their brand, and they want to be able to leverage that to their advantage when you know when it makes sense. But but I think it sounds like what you're saying is you know Point obviously is getting the vast majority of their business right now from these reseller you know relationships, and of course they're not looking to damage those relationships in any way. They they recognize the long term value, so they they have the payback so they can provide processing when people come directly to them, and it makes sense. But it sounds like what you're saying is you know the ISOs, the resellers, that's still obviously. The, the major channel for point and they want to protect that. Yeah. And I actually spoke with the, the head of uh, sales North America this morning, uh, Vinny Bordeaux, who's, who's over at point. And he was even saying a new system in place to make sure that they, they know how much they value the resellers. Uh, any marketing that goes out to any merchant at all, even if, if that merchant has never touched point or has never been in the, their system of even showing signs of being on the point platform, um, it's going to be reviewed by the sales team because they don't want to cause any controversy. But yeah, of sure. course they want to. Sure. They want to keep building their brand, and they, they're going to have their own initiatives, and that's that's fine. I think that as long as we can all work together and yeah. and we all have the same goal, I don't think there's any problem with it. It always goes back to Clover too. I mean, if you went, 
how frustrating would it have been, you know, five years ago, you go sell Clover and then they go to the Clover website and they sign up directly with one of the banks, you know, that they have there. Exactly. I mean, that's not a great experience either, but that's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit different, it but it's, it's yep. the same kind of, you gotta, you gotta sell your merchants. You gotta protect your merchants. And you just gotta, again, right. keep your head down right. and keep selling. Well, and again, too, and also you have to, you know, give them the service. I mean, it's not just about selling and about being there. Exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's so true. It's, a, it's such a great, such a great point. Um, like, if you look at something like Square, because I, I would bring up Square because I love to bring up Square. All the ISOs get frustrated with Square. Um, yeah, they, they've done a great job at, at having that consumer model. But I'll tell you right now, when Square sells Square Register, which is $1,000, nobody just goes to the website and just signs up and buys it. There might be a very small few that maybe have already been referenced by a friend, have already used it in the past or seen it. But you got to sell. I mean, you got to build relationships. And, and right. I never get scared of PayFact you know, or any groups from coming PayFact because if they don't have a good sales team, they're never going to have the relationships. And if they don't have the right. relationships, they're never going to close the merchant. It's just how it is. It's, it's, the model has not changed. Products have changed, but truthfully, the sale has not changed. You have to build good relationships and you have to maintain them with great services, right? And that's what yeah. Boomtown, that's why we built our, our brand. It's like we need to help these brands also provide great services. Love it. Um, so, Joey, last thing I have for you, I'd love to get your opinion of the Point App Store. So when I started following Point, um, I don't know, maybe five years ago or four years ago or something, um, you know, admittedly, the the App Store was <laughs> left a little bit to be desired, right? There wasn't a ton in there. You've already mentioned a few apps. Do you have any, any more stats or maybe thoughts on kind of the growth of the App Store and how that's progressed? Because I know that's such a big part of the value proposition of the Point platform. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, I've actually been an advocate on not too many apps because I saw what happened in the Clover market and it got too confusing. And it was actually hard to service Clover because every merchant had a different app. Yes, <laughs> it was just like, oh, yes. God. So I actually like that they kind of confined it and only worked with really strategic groups. Um, yes. But they definitely have enough in there to, again, handle all those verticals in, in kind of every aspect of what you need to accomplish with the point terminal. Uh, there's Homebase, which was a huge app on Clover, which is basically the and employee management, clock in, clock right, out. Right. Um, they have List Builder, which is a, just a direct integration that you put in your email. It goes right to your MailChimp, your constant contact. Um, they have the ability to do, I'm just, I'm kind of geeking out for a second going through all of them, but they have a kitchen <laughs> display app. Sure. Uh, they have, you know, everything from even just, you know, better branding on your receipts, uh, putting your logo on your receipts, a few dollars to do that. They have one that's basically bar tabs. You can hold a, a card on file and do bar tabs. Oh, really? I actually didn't know about later. that one. That's cool. Yeah, that's, yeah a cool. that's a good one too. Hmm. So there's a lot we can go through, and our sales hub and our sales trainings include them all. We don't, we don't, um, you know, we we make sure that we go through all of them and make sure that they're they're also good teams to work with because nothing's more frustrating than downloading an app and it's just by an engineer team that doesn't have services. So right. our team will only encourage and and help our resellers sell apps that actually have great support teams and great sales teams behind them because. You know, agents are great at starting relationships. Salespeople are great at starting relationships. They're ma they might not be good at demoing a whole platform. So, like eHopper, Talis, they'll demo Manglement. They'll demo, um, you know, for your salespeople and, and, and your merchant. And that's all, you know, that, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Obviously, that's going to be a better experience for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Joey, this has been just amazing. Lots of really good information. <clears throat> Again, I think uh, you know Point has a really bright future. And I guess we should probably say for those that maybe have never heard of it, it is P-O-Y-N-T. If you go to P-O-Y-N-T.com, that's Point. Um, but Joey, I'm sure our listeners are going to want to know more about Boomtown, know more about you and the possibilities of working together. If they're not already working with you, they, in my opinion, definitely should be. So can you give a little information about where they could go to learn more? Yeah, so our website is just goboomtown.com, G-O-boomtown.com. Uh, my email is joey, J-O-E-Y, at goboomtown.com. We also have point sales at goboomtown.com. That goes to, to me and a small team. Um, so, yeah, definitely reach out. Definitely say hi. I'd love to just, you know, even pick your brain, get some feedback on where you are and, and how we can help you sell these smart terminals because it truly is, uh, it, it's, you know, you're going to need to add value to your sales in, in the future and in the near future. Um, Brick terminals are great, but again, the churn is so high um, and you're not going to retain those customers as, as much as you will with a smart terminal. And you have a lot of competition out there that's trying to eat your lunch by providing great value and great services. And Point has a lot of that. So, you know, definitely reach out. We'd love to speak with all of you. Um, again, just um, you can also call me at 415-599-6709 uh, is my, my cell phone. So, yeah, James, I, I appreciate it. And James, you, thank you so much. I mean, you've been a a blessing to me because again i can do all the here's how you sell these products here's how you 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 can help um 
you know, talk about the different solutions, but you're the guy who people should go to and like, here's how you actually build great relationships. Here's how you go prospect. Here's how you actually go cold call, which is just the, you know, it's the, it's the core and it's the, it's the raw experience that a lot of these, these um, ISO agents and, and salespeople need. So, you know, I appreciate all of your webinars and everything that I can forward over to these guys that asked for, for that. Awesome, man. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. And uh, again, thanks so much for your time today. I know our listeners got a lot of good info. Yeah, really, really good stuff, Joey. Thank you. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. You know, we all um, are aware that credit card and, de- and credit and debit card fraud are problematic. So I wanted to share today a news report, or actually a couple of news reports, on just how big the, the problem is. A new report from the from Nielsen Report reveals that card fraud losses worldwide totaled $28 billion last year. Wow. Which is which is up from $24 billion in 2017. I mean, that's a... That's huge. That's, a, that's huge. I mean... It's like 12% or thereabouts, right? Right. I mean, I'm doing the math in my head, but but here's the kicker. Better than a third of those losses, $9.47 billion, were incurred in the U.S., even though U.S. card transactions accounted for only about a quarter of the $40.6 trillion in total card payments globally. Wow. So, you know, we got a third of fraud losses against a quarter of the, of the payments. The good news is that uh, fraud losses total amount to, uh, you know, when you do the factoring, it's only 10.83 cents for every $100 in U.S. cardholder spending, which is down from 11.12 uh, cents per $100 spent back in 2017. Hmm. So, you know, we know that fraud losses are borne by all parties to the card transactions, you know, merchants, acquirers, issuers, and in some cases, consumers. Right. Right. Now, issuers ate the biggest part of that fraud. They were on the hook for $19.2 billion in fraud losses last year. Merchants and acquirers were on the hook for about 31% of the total, uh, about $8.6 billion. Hmm. By 2023, Nielsen projects total card fraud losses will increase to $35.7 billion. Wow. That's, you know, 35 from up from 24, did we say 28? Yeah, So that's like almost a 25% increase over the next uh, three years. Wow. That's a lot. And by 2028, the total will be $40.6 billion. And so, Patty, when we're talking about card fraud, just to be clear for our listeners who may not be as familiar with these these terms that we're using. So so the difference, kind of explain to us, what is a chargeback? Versus what is, what uh, and is I was fraud. going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> so because that's really important because right. a lot of these frauds are chargebacks, you know. Okay. And uh, you know a chargeback can uh, occur for any number of reasons. You know, for example, the uh, purchaser, the cardholder, forgot they made a purchase. Right. Maybe they were just satisfied with the product or the service. So they want they wanted a refund. The merchant said, "We're not going to refund you because we did send you that part." And then and, they reach out to their bank and say, I got scammed. This isn't what I ordered or something. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then uh, simple fraud, you know, where somebody just bought something and had no intention of paying for it. Um, right. They waited six months and filed a chargeback knowing that the merchant probably wouldn't be able to prove that it was legit. Exactly. And in some cases, of course, you know, uh, some of these frauds, you know, I, I think we've talked about this in the past where people, you know, your your kid or your nephew or whatever, you know, grabs your card when you aren't looking and charges up a bunch of stuff, right? Sure, sure. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've known people who are like, oh, you know, then I got these charges and it's for these video games. I'm like, well, did you ask your son? Right. <laughs> you know? And right. they're like, no, I just called the bank. <laughs> I thought, right. yeah, well, that's the problem. I mean, in those cases, it's going to be a chargeback, but it's, 
right really fraudulent you know so right the, right but i guess in that, those in those you know just to be clear i mean <clears throat> in those situations where somebody says basically that wasn't me i'm not the person that spent that money right that's, that as a general rule correct me if i'm wrong patty that's not a, a something that would go back against the merchant no. That's the kind of thing that would go against the issuing bank that would have to basically replace the card and hey, this was fraudulent. Right. Somebody stole your card or something, right? Is that is that the way right. it works? That, okay. Exactly, and and you know, and that's why the issuers eat the biggest chunk of these fraud right. bosses. Right. Um, a lot of times, you know, I had a I had a situation myself not long ago where somebody dinged me for a membership that I never remembered even signing up for. You know, I must have used it a year ago, and they came back and dinged me. Right. And, um, you know, in, in that case, the the merchant eats the fraud. Right. Um, eats, the, eats the loss because there was no proper, you know, notification, uh, notification or anything like that. You right. know, when right. I went to my bank, they were like, oh, well, you know, don't worry about that. We'll get the merchant to pay for it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Right. So that's you know, that's an issue, too. And. And, you know, the thing is, is that for although chargeback fraud is huge, there's other types of fraud we have to remember, you know, like crooks taking over uh, valid accounts, um, sure. cards getting counterfeited or lost or stolen and then used. Um, there's a lot of this. Uh, what's really increasing these days is, is uh, new account uh, fraud, where people open an account with the express right. in, uh, intent of, of committing frauds. Sure. And then, of course, there's all that data that's out on the web where people can get a combination of valid, you know, can get some valid card information and then make up some bogus information and create a new account. Right. But I guess really, though, I mean, I've always thought of fraud as, you know, you can really kind of put the majority of it into one of two buckets. You know, bucket number one is that wasn't me. Right. Bucket number two is that was me, but the merchant didn't do what they promised. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like the, the first bucket of that wasn't me. That's the kind of fraud the issuers are responsible for because uh, it was the card stolen or somebody created a fake account or whatever. But it, that wasn't me. But the kind where it's that was me, but it's on the merchant. I did spend that two hundred dollars, but I never got my shoes. I never got my whatever or this wasn't what I ordered or it broke right. or whatever. That's the stuff that's on the merchant. And now it's the merchant's responsibility to come back and say, you know, it was legitimate or whatever. And they have to prove that. And if they fail to prove that it was legitimate transaction, now it's on the merchant. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, and, the, and, the, and the, the, you know, just to circle back to chargebacks, you know, this is another thing that I wanted to bring up today is that uh, a report from chargebacks 911, who I believe we interviewed yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gary Cardone, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, according to a, a survey, a report that they just put out, chargeback losses have quadrupled over the last five years. Wow. In the, in the, and particularly in what they call the most chargeback prone cities in America. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, obviously the end result's always the same. The, you know, the, the merchant loses money from, in, in this case, or they pay, you know, in terms of a chargeback fee and the possibility of fines, um, you know, as, as, as just to explain to our listeners in case they aren't familiar with this is the, you know, the card brands typically impose like low chargeback rates under 1% of total card purchases. And if you exceed that threshold, you can be subject to fine and eventually even blacklisted. Right. Right. That happens. I mean, a lot of merchants that now are considered high risk because they literally have their merchant account shut down because the percentage of, their charge revenue backs. that was chargebacks yeah. was higher than 1%, and they got shut down. Right, right. So here, I just wanted to share with folks the uh, the nine, chargeback 911 study, the 10 states with the highest chargeback rates. Okay. Arizona, California, Delaware, the District of Columbia, Florida, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. It's interesting uh, that you said Delaware because right? I think most people would maybe not even understand that. And that's the reason is because a lot of people uh, create their corporations in, the, in, in Delaware, Delaware exactly because of tax yeah. advantage. And so th a lot of those would probably be your e-commerce businesses that have all incorporated in Delaware and yeah. are serving yeah. the country. And, so. and in fact, according to the research, not surprisingly, most of these losses are uh, 
uh, online purchases. Of in fact, uh, card not problem. Uh, in fact, uh, e-commerce disputes are, or e-commerce transactions are, um, excuse me, disputes are 81% likelier to involve e-commerce tra- transactions, according to um, sure. Monica E. Cardone, that's Gary's wife and co-founder. Right. Um, and then they also listed the 10 cities with the highest chargeback rates. And this I found very interesting. Uh, Santa Barbara, California, with a uh, rate that uh, is about 6.79%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Paradise Valley, Arizona, which is 6.73%. Now, here's two towns I've never heard of. La, La Merida, California, 6.68%. And La Habra, California, 6.68%. I'm guessing those are like tourist type towns. That's all I can think of. Yeah, yeah, they must be. Irvine, California, which of course is a big uh, college sure. town. Sure. That's uh, six point six five percent. Washington D.C. at six point six four percent. Here's one that'll interest you, James. Mechanicsville, Pennsylvania. Really. At six point six three percent. Huh. I wonder yeah. where that is. That, so that data is coming from what? From Chargeback Nine One One's merchant accounts? Yeah. Is that the idea? Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm not sure how relevant that, that those numbers would be. I'm, I'm guessing that that's more a function of the mix of merchants that they have in those particular cities more than I, any function would, of the city yeah, itself. You know? I would think so as well. But yeah. it, it's very interesting. interesting you it, know, I mean, it's interesting uh, that there there are cities or that there are merchants even with that high a chargeback rate is uh, a collection of them. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Brooklyn, Encino, California, and New Rochelle, New York, uh, of course, round out that top 10 list. Huh. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And, you know, uh, Monica, um, in in discussing this this report, uh, you know, offered some advice, which, you know, I think is, is interesting. She said the best way online merchants can protect themselves is by registering with Visa's Merchant Inquiry Purchase Program. Oh, okay. And now this is a program that Visa introduced back in 2015, which allows merchants to share transaction information with card issuing banks, with with Visa, the Visa network as sort of the go-between. Okay. And the idea is that it gives issuers more visibility into cardholder purchase information over and above simple transaction data. Okay. Which can then, um, you know, conceivably help them manage cardholder disputes before they can become chargebacks. Sure. Huh. So uh, yeah, so that's that that's my fraud take for today. But uh, you know, I think the the really interesting thing for for listeners to remember is that you know fraud you know eats away at the uh, you know the viability of the payment system. You know, I mean, right? Sure. It, it creates distrust, um, you know, among good merchants and good customers. So you know, it's really important, especially if you have a lot of online merchants, to to you know keep on top of chargebacks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, really good stuff today, Patty. Thanks for sharing all that. Sure thing. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So Patty, today I want to talk about marketing funnels, marketing funnels. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't hear very much about this in our industry. Uh, as you know, I know you've, you've heard me say before, I think our industry is kind of in the, uh, uh, you know, kind of in this, the, uh, you know, caveman era in terms of marketing still. Um, oh, I agree. I mean, you know, just recently I was, uh, working with a client who's in the, uh, hardware business for um, remote deposit capture. Okay. Sure. And they're really big on marketing funnels, you know, and it was really interesting working with them on, on their campaigns. Right, right. 
Right. And I and I found myself thinking, wow, why don't more people do this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and it was funny because like recently in some of my videos, I've talked about, you know, I've mentioned this concept uh, in in larger context and. You know, it dawned on me because we we just have a new client uh, on our side that actually has hired us to build a marketing funnel for them. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I should actually explain in the podcast what a marketing funnel is. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And how you use it in this industry. Right. So so the first thing about a marketing funnel, we're just going to kind of break it down. I'm going to give you really, really practical advice about you know how to make a marketing funnel to sell merchant services that works. So the the first thing is you have to have a hook. Um, and mm -hmm. so a hook is generally going to be a piece of content. Um, right. It could be a special offer for sure, but the piece of content is usually going to be the lower resistance type of hook. So, for instance, for this mm -hmm. particular client, we are writing an ebook <clears throat> for this client. It's going to be about a 10 page ebook, and it's going to have information that's very helpful to the business owner. It's information they're going to want. Um, right. but of course it is also customized to talk, you know, weaving into the story. We're talking about their products and services. Right. So it's kind of like, <clears throat> here's the problem you have. Here's the solution to the problem. And Oh, by the way, we just happen to have that solution. Correct. Right. Yes. So right. you have to have that hook. So once you make this ebook and then you, you, when I say the ebook, I mean, you go and get it professionally designed. So we have a graphic designer that's doing a bunch of work on this, making it really professional. Mm -hmm. So then once you have this really professional ebook, the next step is that you make a landing page where people will go to download this piece of right. content or to get access to the videos or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this case with the ebook, it's a simple landing page um, that has, uh, you know, kind of gives some bullet points of what are the benefits going to be of them taking time to read this ebook. Uh, we're talking about how it's a free download on there. And we're collecting a little bit of information, most importantly, the email address. Um, right. because we want to put them into a drip funnel, which I'll talk about in a second. So we have step one, you have to have a hook, in this case, an ebook. Step two, you make a landing page where they go to learn a little bit more about the ebook, learn a little bit more about you know you as the author or whatever. But you do want to be careful because you want to make sure that this landing page is not a, this is not a page where you're trying to convince them to buy your services at all. Right, you're trying to get them to appreciate you as an expert. Exactly. You basically want them to give you their information in exchange for this ebook, um, and so you want to really you want to talk about you know, you're an expert and here's what you're going to find out. Here's what you're going to learn in this ebook, and you really want to make it like you got to at least download this ebook and have a copy. It's free. You know, you, right. you need this right. information. So that's that page there. So then. What you do is when people download that ebook, you could use a service like ClickFunnels is the one that we've used a lot for landing page creation that's really easy. Right. Um, so you're going to have your landing page. Then when people download it, you can then, you want to use a service like either MailChimp or Drip.com or something like that to then, you want to actually email a copy of the ebook to them. So right. you, know, you don't want to actually... Um, give them the link to download the ebook. And the reason is because a lot of people, we found about 10 to 15%, they will put a bogus email address in there the first time uh -huh. to get to the next page. And when they get to the next page, if it says, we just emailed you your ebook, then they're Oops. like, oh, stink. So they hit back and then they give you the correct email. Right. So right. you want to make sure you're emailing the ebook to them. Um, <clears throat> then where you take them after that page, once they've downloaded the ebook, you take them to the next page. The next page would be the call to action that you want them to take next mm -hmm. in order to start the sales process. Correct. So yeah. usually this would either be schedule an appointment for one of our representatives to come out and meet with you, schedule a phone appointment, or it could be schedule a demo. So for instance, let's say I was trying to sell the, uh, the Clover system. Um, mm -hmm. What I would do is I would write an ebook about maybe inventory management. And okay. in that ebook, I would have screenshots throughout of how Clover manages inventory, but I would mainly just be talking about really helpful information to manage your inventory better. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like, you really need to manage your inventory in these ways. Here are the tips to do it. And oh, by the way, if you want a really easy way to implement this advice, we have Clover, right? So right. then I have my landing page, which again, doesn't say anything about Clover. My landing page is just all about download this ebook and manage your inventory better to you know improve inventory turns and things like that. Right. Then the next page might be a big picture of the Clover station with a Clover Mini and Clover Flex on either side or whatever. And it would say, schedule a free demo. 
you know? Right. Right? And so now we're trying to get that demo. Now, the majority of the people that hit that page are actually not going to complete the form and schedule the demo at that time. But you want to plant that seed. And then at the top of that page, there's an alert that says, we just emailed your uh, ebook out to you, you know? So right. most likely they're now going to exit that and they're going to go to their email uh, inbox and they're going to, there is the, the link to download the ebook. They're going to download the ebook and they're going to, you know, consume this content. And of course, as they're reading it, they're becoming more and more interested. They're realizing you're more the expert. And of course, in that email that you send out, there is a link that says download the ebook. And of course, there's also a link to schedule a demo, which takes them back to that page again. Right. Right. So then from there, the next step is you're going to actually set up usually about five drip emails, which will go out usually either once a week or once every three days. Um, it just kind of depends on how you want to do it. And so the idea would be you then want to think of, okay, I put this ebook out. I want to share some additional helpful tips, but now we're going to make the tips a little bit more specific to Clover. So this okay. is going to be like, you know, kind of like the ebook said, um, you know, track your inventory in real time, you know, is one of the tips. Well, right. then the email that goes out three days after they get the ebook is learn how to manage inventory turns with Clover or automate inventory with our Clover app or whatever. Mm-hmm. When they click on that email, it's going to have a little bit of information, maybe a, uh, maybe an image or so. And then it's going to have that link that says schedule a free demo now. Um, and so right. we're going to send that every three days, you know, four or five emails in a row to try to drive them back to that page to then schedule the demo. So that is an idea that I just gave you of an extremely simplified marketing funnel. Um, now the challenge then becomes, okay, cool, James, we have that. Now, how do we actually get people to this page? So. Right. That's where it gets really interesting because I'm not going to dive into that. I maybe I'll go into that in some future uh, episodes here, but this is where you can use Facebook advertising. This is where you could use door-to-door salespeople. You could use uh, telemarketers. You could use LinkedIn. I mean, there's LinkedIn. I was just thinking of that. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of a lot of different ways you can use it, but the key is setting up a marketing funnel like that that is automated that you can just depend on. That mm-hmm. is the kind of resource that ISOs need to be making available to their sales agents. Um, so that they have something to use and, and, you know, that they can get out there and and work with. Um, and so that's really something that you want to have available to them that they can use to really drive more of these appointments or drive more demos or whatever it is you want people to do, get them that hook to get them some good information, um, and then take them through that marketing funnel to hopefully get them to do what you want them to do down the road. And, 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 you know, really what you're talking about, James, is like the uh, digital iteration of, um, of telephone appointments. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And and you know what's funny about it, Patty? It actually it's not it's actually a, an iteration. It can be an iteration of telephone appointments themselves, meaning mm-hmm. you sure. know, if if you're tired of paying your telemarketers to call all these businesses that have been called 50 times for credit card processing, what if they called and said, "Hey, the reason I'm calling today is our company just wrote a great ebook on inventory management. It's free and we'd like to send you a copy." Mhm. Mhm. And they say, "Yeah." I would love a copy. Okay, great. Now what happens? Well, now your telemarketer pulls up your landing page, right, on their right. on their side right. because they're going to get the information. They say, okay, great. Well, I'll send it to you right now. What's the best email address? They put the email address in the form. What's your name? You know, I know your phone number because I'm calling you. So they right. fill out the form. The telemarketer actually fills the form out, clicks send, and they're like, hey, thank you so much. That's on its way. Well, now right. a couple things can happen. You know, number one, you know, that person might read the ebook and say, wow, I want to schedule a demo. And they may just go do that themselves. Or more likely, what will happen is you could set up alert systems through uh, systems like HubSpot, where when that merchant opens the email and clicks on it to download the ebook, that could send an, a lead over to your sales team or back to the telemarketer and say, hey, this person is right now is reading your ebook. So right, right. give them 10 minutes, give them 15 minutes. And then give them a call and say, hey, now that you, you know, did you get a chance to look at the ebook? You did? Great. Let's go ahead and schedule a demo. How does next week, you know, Thursday at four o'clock work? And yeah. now you yeah. just go right ahead. So it can definitely be used in that context as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's so, it's, it's, the beauty is the simplicity, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just the kind of thing you need to have set up. And then, you know, if you really, for those that have larger companies and you really want to be effective, take what I just described to you and make 15 of those. One for Mm -hmm. auto repair shops, one for nail salons, etc. 
um, and that's where you can really start to get some some serious serious traction in your sales process if you'll include some targeted marketing funnels yeah good stuff james thanks thanks buddy thank you for listening to the merchant sales podcast whether you are an industry veteran processing executive or just trying to learn about the payment space we appreciate your time the Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.